You're listening to the Pastor Writer Podcast, episode 24. Today I'm joined on the podcast by a pastor and author, Pete Scazzaro. I really think this conversation is an important one. Pete is the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Church, and Emotionally Healthy Leadership. And so much of what he has to say about writing and the life of the writer resonates with so much that this podcast is and tries to say. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I think it's going to help you as a pastor and as a writer. Joining me on the podcast today is Pete Scazzaro. Pete is the founder of New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York City, a large multiracial church with more than 73 countries represented in the congregation. And he's also the author of The Emotionally Healthy Leader and two best-selling books, The Emotionally Healthy Church and Emotional Healthy Spirituality. Pete is the co-founder of Emotional Healthy Spirituality, which is a global ministry active in over 25 countries. And uh, I have to say, I'm a big fan of your writing. It's meant a lot to me. So, Pete, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Great to be with you, James. Good to be here. So, I first got introduced to your writing through the book, Emotionally Healthy Leadership. I'm a part of a pastor's group that meets quarterly to discuss assigned reading. And the leader of the group oftentimes discusses leadership books or gives us sort of practical ministry books. Uh, but several months ago, we were assigned your book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And I have to say, uh, it was true for me, but as we got into discussions as a group, it was quickly one of the favorite books for, for all of us. Because one of the things that I think it did is um, in vocational ministry that can so often be driven by pragmatics and sort of uh, the, the cramming of the schedule and how do we get more done more efficiently, um, your book was sort of like someone cracked a window in the room and just let fresh air in. And it took our conversations from being just about the pragmatics of ministry ministry to this opportunity to really be more honest about what's going on inside of us. Um, so first, I want to say thank you. Um, the book's meant a lot to me personally, but maybe a good place for us to start is to talk a little bit about your own journey to this topic of emotionally healthy spirituality. I know you write pretty transparently about it in all of your books, uh, but for those who may have not read the book yet, maybe you could give us just a little bit of a background on how this topic became important to you and how through your own pastoral and personal vacations you found yourself being led into this topic. Yeah, so, you know, I came into you know, all my book curriculums, everything has flowed at something we now call emotional healthy spirituality, and it's become a brand. I have no intention of creating a brand, uh, but it came out of our own life experience, pastoring and leading the church. So, uh, basically, we, after the first seven, eight years, we hit a wall. Uh, it was a personal wall, it was a leadership wall, a pastoral wall, marital wall, and uh, it had to do with our own inner life leadership and discipleship. There were some, clearly some gaps. Something was wrong. And so in our own struggle, we ended up, uh, you know, out of our own really brokenness, uh, God met us, and we broke through. And it's a long story how that all happened in, in a number of the books. But, it, you know, it's out of that, it happened in 19... Actually, it happened in 1994. We had a split in one of our churches we planted. That got me into therapy. I'm going to look at myself. Maybe I've got some problems. And it wasn't until 1996 where my wife actually quit the church and uh, basically, you know, said, you got to make some change to be, you know, and I was like, okay. She had my attention. So out of that um, came a breakthrough in our own spiritual lives, my spiritual life and in our marriage. And we didn't write, I didn't write anything for seven years. So I just sat on it and worked it out. And then I wrote my first book in 2003. But, it was. It came out of really at that point the journey of 
16, 17 years of living, living the journey of pastoring eating, but it was actually the seven years of living out the beginning stage of what we call emotionally healthy uh, discipleship in our own lives, in our church, and then we put in print what we were living. That's kind of how we got started. And I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know if anybody would even buy it, Jason, but it didn't matter. I was writing it. I felt, I felt compelled to write it. Yeah, and I want to explore that because um, one of the things that that I think you immediately notice when you read the books is that you draw from this rich tradition of Christian heritage of contemplative spirituality and sort of self-reflection. And um, I, I started to ask the question, why do you think so many pastors have abandoned some of those traditions? But uh, abandoned might not even be the right word. How come so many pastors have just never been even made aware of this tradition that we've inherited from, from those who went before us? Um, why is it that today so many of these common church practices just aren't obvious or aren't practiced by so many who lead the church and are in the church. Yeah, I would say that our uh, our contribution, actually, our our journey has had three to four phases to it. So it began with actually, uh, it wasn't church, it wasn't uh, a contemplative church practices at all. It actually started with what we call emotional health. And the integra- an integration of what we would consider a uh, a fuller discipleship that encompassed the whole our whole person. In other words, I think most evangelical seminaries and leadership conferences are are very narrowly focused on intellectual transformation and doing a lot of activities. Uh, and what happened in 1996 was they realized that there's whole parts of ourselves made in God's image that was neglected. We call that now emotional, the emotional aspect of being made in God's image. And I would say that the reason all this was neglected, by like, then we got the whole a monastic slowdown spirituality, silence, stillness, Sabbath, offices, rules of life, a whole, everything from monasticism brought that into our tradition as well. And then, you know, just whole exposure to church history, whole exposure to historical theology, I was exposed to it in a very narrow way in seminary, but uh, I, I think that American evangelicalism in particular, which we've explored around the world, has a certain narrowness to it. And I don't think anybody's doing any intentional, but if you look at history, uh, church history in particular, uh, it all begins to make sense, whether it's from the split with the Eastern Church and um, in the 11th century, 10th century, 4th century, the Protestant Reformation, 1517—it uh, all begins to make sense of why we are tend to be parochial and narrow in our perspective. And I still consider myself, you know, Orthodox evangelical, you know, it's my tradition, but I draw from others uh, throughout history, so much to learn from the Church uh, as a biblical Christian. One of the things I think the book does so well, especially uh, the book on leadership, is so many of the books that are a part of the evangelical discussion about pastoral vocation and particularly how it intersects with leadership, they tend to sort of have um, – they tend to resonate with uh, other corporate leadership models or pragmatic leadership models. Um, but what you do, bringing in this emotionally healthy spirituality but still calling it a leadership book, introduces a topic that I think many people when they think about leadership don't naturally equate with leadership uh, – 
contemplation or silence or the practice of Sabbath. Um, how early on did you recognize that, okay, I'm not just writing a deeper life book. I'm not just writing a, a contemplative spirituality book. Like, this still very much is a leadership book, but a leadership book that tries to draw in these neglected practices. Yeah, I, I would say, I, I, I think it's, I think actually, it's, again, I, uh, you're speaking to writers out there and I think pastors want to write. Uh, my thinking has been formed over many years. In other words, I don't put something in writing until I've lived it for a while and I've thought thoroughly about it. Uh, and so when it comes to what does it mean to be a Christian leader, I remember, I, I, I remember, you know, you go to conferences like the World Creek Summit and other places, and you learn from all these secular folks like Jack Welch and, you know, all these great thinkers. Like, we can learn stuff from secular leaders. But I'm fundamentally, you know, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, and I'm building the body of Christ. I'm not building General Electric. Uh, and we're the body of Christ, and you can't just graft into the church secular practices from the outside uh, without a lot of thought. And so we're attached to Jesus. And just the fact that we can do something doesn't mean we should. So I was, I was, I was for decades wrestling the integrations. I knew something was wrong with these Christian conferences. They're just giving me all the secular stuff. I, I used to go to a secular podcast to learn from that. And then I had people who were really into deep spiritual, a deep spirituality, but they weren't building anything. Uh, they weren't leading. It was just like spiritual directors or running retreat centers. And I said, you know, um, I'm a leader and I'm called to build a church and do outreach. Yet at the same time, I'm, I want to be deeply anchored in Christ. And so it was that I was looking for a third way, which is Christian leadership. And I, um, and I think over the years, it basically immersed to me that you, you just can't take on secular models and paste them in the church. I, I just, you can learn a few things, but that, that, that's not the trust. Um, and so I was doing theology, in a sense, in my own formation over 26 years of being a pastor in the like fellowship church. So even, even just, you know, I'm still learning, Jason. I mean, I, I do a podcast, too. Right? I'm, I'm doing emotionally healthy leader podcast on a weekly basis because it's such a massive topic. And I do draw, I, I'm integrating different places, but I'm fundamentally biblically grounded, and that changes everything. Uh, so the fact that you can build a church of 10,000 people doesn't mean much. What really you should do is do God's, God's will for your life. That's what you need to do. That's the most important thing. Well, I appreciate the fact that so much of this you're trying to make public because uh, I've kind of had that same experience. So much of the conversation that seems to be easily accessible is pragmatic. It is sort of – well, it, by, by its very nature, it sort of feels self-promoting or feels – but then some of these streams of, of sort of deeper spirituality that have been so impactful for me and I know others, it's sort of like finding them can be a search in and of itself, right? You have to like really start digging and those people aren't doing yes. podcasts. They aren't – they're not easy to come across. And so finding a way to be able to 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 share this approach, but to do it in a way, even though you're using new technology, but it doesn't sort of uh, – it really cuts through that, I think it is a valuable thing. And one of the things – so I've read uh, Emotionally Healthy Leader and then picked up Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. The Emotionally Healthy Church is on my desk. Um, I, it is one thing to walk this process individually, 
But then a part of what you've attempted to do is to lead other people through it. And I'm struck by, uh, I know Eugene Peterson at one point talks about, as a pastor, it's not our responsibility to fix people's problems, but to speak God into people's problems and lives. Um, What does it look like for you to not just walk this path individually as a pastor, but then to say, okay, this is something God is doing so that I can lead other people, I can lead a congregation into the same depth, the same anchoring in Christ as you referenced it? Yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm a pastor, and I think part of most of your listeners are pastors as well, and so I'm just not concerned about my own walk with Jesus. I'm concerned about forming, formation, and establishing in our community. So I'm always thinking, first, I want to live it, and then I want to pass it on to our church. So again, my writing materials have come out of our church. So I, I, don't, I didn't just write books for new ideas. I actually was very committed to developing curriculums um, for the church. And so central, I would say the most important thing I've done is probably the least known only because it, these are it's a course it's called the Emotionally Discipleship Course. Um, and it's built around the books, but it's actually applying the books into the culture of the church in this in a serious discipleship model. That's the hardest. Anybody can read a book, get some nice ideas, it's good. But no, I want to change the culture of the church that we actually make disciples to make disciples. Um, again, that is the task of leadership. It's not just that we live it, yes, but then we actually equip others in the Ephesians 4 sense to do the work of the ministry for the sake of the world. So um, I think that is the great hard work of leadership. Uh, it's not just about me and Jesus and my walk with God. It's I'm bringing this family somewhere. And so that's why for me emotionally, I think discipleship is the most, if you go to our website, that's really what we're all about is helping churches bring this course into the church, which is the application of all the books you're reading. Uh, but in, you know, Scott Daily offices, people are our silence of stillness, rhythms of being with God, Sabbath. I want the church to work this way. So I want to bring the church into a radical countercultural life with Jesus and not live out an American Christian. Yeah, I do think that is the hard task because so often um, it's not that hard to impress people with your spirituality and to sort of lead out of out of that distinction, right, for people to see you as a deep person or a contemplative person. Um, it's an entirely different goal to say, um, I don't want people to just be impressed with who I am. I want to be able to help people discover this for themselves, to really begin to f- to find their tr- their true identity more deeply in Christ and these practices. Um, so I appreciate that. I'll make sure I include a link up to the discipleship course as well, too. That's one I, I don't have. Yeah. Um, let me ask this. At some point, so as you've mentioned, this has become – important to you personally. Um, By the nature of your calling, it's becoming personal to the way that you lead and the way that you're building a congregation and investing in discipleship. Um, At some point, a switch must have turned where you said, okay, I see this, I see this, the value of it in myself and my congregation. This is something I want to put down in writing Um, through curriculum, through books. What did that look like, the decision to say, I'm going to write a book about this topic versus just sort of living it and, and teaching it organically within the congregation? You know, I think writing, uh, if you ever read the book Letters to a Young Poet by uh, Rilke, mm-hmm. um, you know, he talks about uh, writing as an art, and Dillier does as well. Uh, but it's almost like, I cannot not do this. And I think much like wine has to ripen over time, uh, a book has to ripen over time until you almost have to write it. And so 
I love, I was an English major in college. So I, writing is really hard. It's actually torturous, but I do love to write. So I had a, even as a non-Christian, I, you know, I loved writing. So I had that. What happened was I, I came to a place that was burning me. And just, you know, I got zero encouragement <laughs> to write the book. I mean, uh, the publisher thought Emotionally Healthy Church was my first book. They said, no man is going to buy a book called Emotionally Healthy Anything. This is the wrong title. And I said, well, it has to be the title because it has to do with anthropology and it bringing the emotional aspect of discipleship and leadership to the church, which has been missing for hundreds of years. And so I insisted it wasn't about sales for me. It wasn't about marketing. It wasn't about any of that stuff. I, I wrote it because I, I wrote it for God. And I felt like I had to write it. And so that's, that's number one. Is that I, I, I had to. And I think one of the ways you know God's holding you to write is you feel like I have to. Now the question is going to be timely. You know, I think many younger writers I meet, they, they want to write before things are ripe. Okay, and I think that's a problem. We don't need shallow books. We need books that are saying something with depth. And sadly, most evangelical books, you can read the first chapter or two, and you can pretty much, you can read it in like two hours. It's not really saying that much. And you get a great, had a great idea, but it's, it's not enough there. It hasn't been developed enough. Uh, I call it like a premium, a premature sermon, a premature book. It's not had time to gestate. So I, I always caution folks, make sure that not just the idea is clear, but you've actually lived it sufficiently to nuance it. It's really worthy of a book. Um, and it's, it's a labor of love. It's very painful, very difficult to do. Uh, but don't rush. I'm like, don't, don't be in a rush. I, you know, I just ran a road and you said, yeah. It's really hard to write in your 30s because you've got small children and you've got your pastor and the lead of a church. It's not easy. You know, it's really difficult. I wrote my first book class probably in my mid-40s, but I wanted to in my 30s. I, I had it in me, but I, just, I knew it wasn't time. It just wasn't time. Well, as you take up the task of writing, I'm curious how much the content itself, this approach to emotional health, how that impacted you as a writer and your approach to writing because um, we all sort of know the 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 process of writing and publishing in particular can be a little bit maddening um sort of the expectations the questions about platform and audience the um it's pretty easy we've talked about on the cod podcast before it's pretty easy to lose perspective and to sort of find the pressures awakening things in you that are not what you wanted to come out of the writing process itself so maybe you could speak a little bit to um how emotional health impacted you as a writer and then also the role you think it should play in those who are writing well, first of all, uh, when you deal with the publishing world, you're dealing with powers and principalities. Uh, and so you have to understand that you're getting into an arena with big demons <laughs> and uh, money, popularity, power. It's just all the whole thing. Is, it has destroyed more than one Christian leader uh, over the decades. So First of all, let's get that straight. Um, just like, you know, you can say anything with technology, lots of money, right? You want to go into it wisely. So um, I believe that you write, you know, I wrote my first book. I didn't have any platform. I didn't speak anywhere. There wasn't social media. It was, 19, it was 2003. I was an unknown. In fact, my 
the only reason I got published with Zondervan, the first book I wrote, was because I, I happened to write some study guides for Divorcity Press when I was in my early 20s as a staff worker within Divorcity. They, they sold very well. And this guy who was the editor for that um, had moved to Zondervan. He kind of followed me. He knew my journey to emotional health in 1996. I didn't write anything in 2000. One two thousand two, I said to him, "I think I'm ready to write this thing down." And he said to me, "You're a nobody." In a nice way, he goes, "You're you're a nobody. No one knows you. You're in Queens, New York City, Nowheresville." Uh, and I said, "Well, it doesn't matter. I I, I just I, I really feel like I want to write. I feel like God's given to it, right?" He said, "We'll publish it." He goes, "Don't expect a lot." I think it's a great idea. And again, the, the title, they wanted a more clever title. I, I said, this, is, this has to be the title. Emotional health has to be the title. That's the point. It's offensive to men, but that's all right. It's, it's just, it, it, it needs to be. It's biblical. It's the right word. So, you understand, I went into it, and nobody bought the book initially. It sold 100, 200, thing going. And there wasn't any public publicity around it. It was the same time Purpose Driven Life came out. from Donovan published that. It was sold millions. And, you know. So, but you know what happened? I mean, it just happened. People began to just talk about it. It began to spread by word of mouth. And uh, and then somehow it won the book of the year uh, for Christian leaders. And, uh, and the rest was history, you know. But it really is, it, it's, it was all word of mouth. You know, if you write something that you really have something to say from God, God will get it out there. And that's what happened. So I, I, I think it was like six months after the book came out, I got my first speaking engagement somewhere in New York City. It was a, a, the person that had canceled last minute. So they called me. I said, would you come speak? He said, the pastor. So, and I remember going there. And I shared, you know, my story and then the book. And, and uh, God was there. And I said, wow, God, you really did give me that book. So at that point, the thing had sold hardly any. And uh, the publisher wasn't going to publicize it. Here I was. I, you know, and God did it. God did it anyway. So I would say you trust God with it. I, I think, you know, getting a, you know, I was just very fortunate the way it unfolded for me. It was a God thing. And I think, uh, and then my next book at that point, I, I, I my, my books only came out of myself, a burning sensation. I have something to say. And I've been, and I've been pondering it for a long time. So a second book on emotionally spirituality, uh, which is integrating monastic spirituality, a slow down spirituality with the emotional health piece. Uh, and so that was the focus. And so and that was written, my first book was written just to pastors in the years, which is a small role. My second book was written for a wider market. Uh, and I always consider that my, my Magna Carta book, uh, mostly spirituality. And what happened was, although with this publisher, it was small, I didn't go exonerate. And I went with them because they were quality and I like that, full integrity. But imagine I, I walked away from book deals, Donovan. Uh, no, Thomas Nelson. Oh, I had like five or six offers. I walked away from all of them. I'm going to build this small guy. I'd love the editor. And then three months after I, the book came out, they sold, the company got bought. And I rejected them. Thomas Nelson had zero interest in this book. They didn't publish, the book didn't get publicized either. Most of it got dropped. And here I was, like the second book, no publicity. And the same thing happened. It didn't sell much. Initially, and then uh, over time, it just kept spreading. And actually, to this day, it sells more. I wrote that book in 2006. Most of these spirituality sells more books today in 2018, a year, than it sold the first year. It's selling more books every year, 12 years later, than it has the previous year. 
pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It uh, it's kind of what you would hope for as an author if you could plan it. Uh, this this thing obviously is resonating on its own. It's not just sort of a marketing campaign behind it or the right endorsement, but there's something there's something about this book that resonates. Um, I've actually got it here in front of me. Um, I was struck as I was kind of thinking through the, our conversation. At the beginning of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, you give a list of unhealthy, emotionally unhealthy spirituality that show up in our lives. And I was really struck by how many of these uh, show up in the writing process, in the process of sort of publishing. Uh, you already sort of mentioned the dangers and the risks associated, but some of these you put down in the book. Uh, number one, using God to run from God. Um, how true that risk, I think, can be even when we're writing about God. Um, number six, yeah. doing things for God instead of being with God. Um, the, yeah. the, the fact writing about God is not a substitute for just actually being with God. Um, and then the, the number 10, judging other people's spirituality and journey. Um, it just strikes me that so much of our writing can be not self selfless, but rather it becomes sort of a reaction or some sort of a conflict instead of flowing out of what we really have and what we really have experienced. Um, maybe you could continue again with, um, as you've sort of touched on it briefly, just some of the risks you see, especially for young writers, as they may be, they are sensing that God is, is calling them this. And I think that is, let's say that's genuine, but it doesn't mean that they're out of out of the woods, right? So what are some of those risks that you would say as you're navigating this, you should really be aware of and be sensitive to? Uh, one is you don't want to lose God in the process. All right, or sacrifice your integrity. So you want to be led by God as to what you write about. Uh, it's not about the market. It's about what's God given you to say. And I think it's coming out of your own life, your own vulnerability of brokenness is very important. And you have integrity when you write. In other words, you don't write things that aren't true. It's very tempting to write things that aren't true. So I've had discipline myself. I don't ever write something I've got to uh, or is it true? It's easier to write things as if they're better than they are. Uh, and that's called lying. And a lot of that goes on. You don't want to participate. So I think monitoring your own self with God, uh, walk with Jesus, live what you're preaching. And all your memory will take. If you think it's going to take a year to write the book, it's going to take two. All right, so it's always double what you think. And uh, it's birthing. It's torture. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to launch probably my last me. And I've written my study guides. I've written daily office books, devotionals. That's easy. But I've written, to write a major book is, is a birthing of a baby. And it is It is just It's a birthing. Bloody. And I am going to start writing a, a book in, in September, on the fall, on going to be called the Emotionally Healthy Marriage. I have been studying, thinking, and teaching on uh, marriage as a sign of one of what I call emotionally healthy marriage for 25 years. No, I'm sorry, 20, 22 and a half years, Jerry and I. But I've only written a chapter about it in the leader book, one little chapter. I'm going to create a course with a workbook, a cook, and a DVD. It's going to be a three-year project. So write this book, because I'm going to write things about marriage. I'm not going to recycle other stuff. If you want to read what John Gottman said, other books, I think you can go read those books. But you only, I'm only going to write something where I know I've got something unique to say to the body of Christ around the world. It's going to make a contribution to discipleship. So I feel led by God to do this. Now, what's happening is I'm now structuring my life in September, October, when I start, 
and, and basically I am, I said, limit what I'm doing in building our wider ministry of emotional spirituality. I'm not going to build a big organization. It's just going to limit my time in other areas, but it just takes time. I'm not going to write full time, but it just begins to consume more and more of your mind as time goes on. I, I, the writing of the book is probably going to take me 18 months. Now imagine, I have all the content in the sense of I've been teaching and thinking about it for 22 years. So it's still going to take me 18 months to write it. By the time I get to the last six to nine months, I'll probably be almost full-time doing it. And then, I, then I'll put together a workbook and then a DVD. It'll be a course for churches. And it'll probably be out in three years. That's pretty intense. It's a long time. And I know when I get that thing comes out, I will be, it'll be like, I'll, I'll be very happy, but I'll be like, I will have paid a price. I, I know it will have been excruciating. I'm under no illusions. Now, I've done it now multiple times. And it is just painful. It is painful. How's that for exciting? Well, that's, I think what it'll resonate with people who listen because a lot of what I try to do on this podcast is be honest about how dangerous what we handle is when we attempt to write about God and about faith for other people, that it exposes our own insecurities in ways that we might not imagine. It forces us to deal honestly with ourselves in ways we might have had before. So um, I think it resonates, um, although maybe we could add to it, as dangerous as this thing is and can be, um, as you already sort of mentioned, there's real joy to it, and it's something God oh. is continuing to call people to. So maybe you could talk about, on the flip side, as dangerous as this thing is, as carefully as we have to handle it, um, some of the joys that you experience through writing the process and through publishing, and also why you think it's important that people take the risk, walk carefully, but do it. Absolutely. No, I think it's a, it's a holy calling and a holy work. Um, it's a calling from God. I, I, I really do see that, that I, I don't believe in ghostwriter. It's like, I'm not really a big, I shouldn't say I don't believe it. Maybe God's calling you a ghostwriter. That's not me. I, I, to me, if I'm going to write it, um, and I, it's a lonely calling, but it's a calling. And the fact that you can impact people you, you'll never meet. is so incredible. Like it's a, it's, it's a really a behind the scenes anonymous ministry because, you're in a room alone. You're alone a lot. And in some ways, you know, someone may say an email or something, but you're having people are with you all around the world or, you know, all kinds of situations, but they're not there. You don't know I mean they're with you through the book. You're talking to them. And uh, so to have something that you've done enough thought that's actually in paper and it's clear and simple. It's a great feeling. I mean, I there's nothing in any of my books that I feel like I want to go back and change. I don't have any regrets in anything I've written because I, t- I took the time I needed. I just take my time, and I'm gonna. I, I don't give it to the publisher until it's right. I just don't. I, I'm not. You can yell, scream, but until I feel like it's like it's done, it's not leaving my way. It's not going to leave. The, the first draft is easy. Right in some ways, right? But it's a, it's the ninety fifth draft. It's just killing you, and uh, it's just killing you because what you think is so beautiful, and you read the next thing, but it's wrong. I wrote it when I wrote the emotional leader book. I wrote two hundred twenty pages. You know what? The editor stepped in and said, basically, throw it out. Think it'll work. I wrote two hundred plus pages. I went to garbage. That's pretty intense. 
Yeah, a real test like, of, uh, of is this really God putting this on my heart? Because it better true. be if I'm going to keep was, this up. It was a year of work. Um, yeah, so, so you know, I think it's, a, I think you know, that's what I say. In some ways, you know, your your calls are right when you say, I, I, I cannot not do this. I cannot not do this. Like I just got to do it. Like how I feel about, I, like I would like to write this marriage book with my wife. I'd be crazy to write it together, but. She doesn't have it in her. She, she wrote one book, and I actually wrote most of it. I put it in writing for her, but it, tore, it was killing. It was a killer for her. She doesn't want to do it again. I don't, I get it. You don't want to do it. Why would you unless God told you to do it? And she'll give me input, and she'll talk me through some things. And, you know, but, I mean, she'll give me her input in this book on marriage. But I totally understand, like, why would she? Why would I want to, like, torture myself? Because she doesn't have that calling from God. I feel like I must do it. I must write this before I die. That's how I see it. It's not about sales. It's not about market. It's just it's a must from God. That's how I think you want to go into it. It's a wonderful way to go. So I, I, when I have a writing day, <coughs> to me, it feels like a vacation. Especially in the early stages before, before this pressure. Oftentimes, I'll point out that for me, writing is a, is a kind of act of faith in that um, so often the act doesn't fully know what's going to come of it, how, what the payout's going to be, what you're going to get, but just simply submitting to the process and saying, um, without trying to visualize that end thing, what does it look like for me to just show up and be faithful to this, trust that God has a calling in it and sort of do it out of an honesty versus doing it out of an agenda or an ambition or a goal. Yeah. Okay, you want to say to yourself, who am I writing to? And it may be pastors, leaders, it may be a broader secular market, it may be a person in the pew, you know, what age group, who is that person God's giving you the right to? What's he giving you to say? Honestly, get, get an out, get, get what's your main point, and then what's your out, you know, make an outline of your chapters, you know, and uh, and then you begin to, you know, sketch it out, outline it uh, with ideas, and that could take you six months, nine months, and uh, then you actually put pen to paper and start writing, and uh you know, it's just, it's just a, it's quite a process. It really is. It's a it's a long journey. To write a good book. I stumbled across on your blog uh, a couple of posts where you talk about writing. One where you talk about uh, some books on writing that have been important to you, and you specifically mentioned um, Annie Dillard's book, of course, The Writing Life, and then also Thomas Merton's book on the vocation of writing, um, both yeah. great books. I'm curious what role – I find this to be a theme, uh, which may – for people who aren't writing or going through the struggle may seem strange that in the process of writing, you would read books about other people's process of writing, uh, but I know yeah, I found absolutely. them to be incredible valuable. I'm curious um, how valuable those reading about writing and, and other people struggle with writing, how valuable that's been for you in sustaining the work, sustaining the, the energy, the passion Extreme, that's required. Ex- extremely valuable. That's why, you know, Jason, it's good you're doing this blog. It's wonderful. Um, because it's, it, it's like, well, I, I read Annie Gilliard's book on the writing life. Every time I write a book, I reread it. Why? It encourages me when she'll say things like, sometimes you have an idea or you write this stuff and then it just walks away and dies, you know, or, you know, basically she believes it takes 10 years to write. I'm like, and like, yeah, it feels like that, you know, and she just has a, she's a full, you know, she's a professional writer as a writer, brilliant writer. Uh, and I just, I thought it was Anne Lamott or any book on writing. I just, I just normally, I just like reading it because it gives me, they, they're, they're, they've been in the field. I'm not, I'm not a, like a, a writer is part of my 
call it. Um, and now as I get older, it's an increasing part of my call, which is interesting. Um, and, but it's not my, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, I'm a leader. I'm equipping churches to bring discipleship into their midst. That this deeply changed their lives. I'm building an organization to support churches around the world. We're in 25 countries. So I got a lot of mentoring people. So I got a lot more things that I like than sitting in a room writing. But a writing is a percentage of my life. And now that I'm going to, you know, do this next project, it's going to take up more and more space over the next couple of years. And then after I birth that baby. I will need a recuperation. I'm still recuperating from the emotionally healthy theater. I'm, I'm now fully recuperating. I, that got released in 2015. It's three years later. But it's taken me three years to recoup. To really get to a place where, okay, I've recovered that. I did some small writing projects in between. A curriculum called the Emotionally Healthy Relationships Course and a DVD. You know, a daily office book. But those are small projects. They weren't the intensity of writing a book has got its own massive weight to it. So I don't know how to explain it. So it's like the birthing of a big life. And wonderful. Something new is coming to the world that was not there before. And it will, and it will be a lot way past your lifetime. That's a beautiful thought. Maybe we could wrap up or start to wrap up with this question. Um, one of the things the podcast does is try to look at the intersection between the vocation of pastor and the vocation of writer. Um, I hear both of those things as really central to who you are. Um, yep. What does that intersection look like for you? How, do, how does being a pastor impact your writing? And how do you think being a writer has impacted you as a, as a pastor as well? You know, I, I saw myself, you know, I'm a pastor uh, of a local church. And so I wanted to get some good writing for our local church. Actually. Uh, and then that was my first priority. Like I wanted to get what I'd been living and preaching in writing so it would uh, last beyond. But I always had first that I was first the pastor uh, of a church. And um, that informed that inform my writing. I think that's important. What are you primarily? Uh, if you're not primarily a pastor and you are a pastor, you probably shouldn't be. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like go do go say go say you're a writer and be a part-time pastor. Right? Mm-hmm. What are you primarily? I'm primarily a pastor, and I I I, I write as a pastor uh, concerned to the church. So I had a chance, for example, to publish with uh, a secular church in England. You ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. But I, I had no interest, but I said, it's not really what God asked me to do. I could have a wider audience. They called me and made more money or whatever. But I, I, I just didn't, didn't matter. I, didn't, I thought what I was interested in doing, I, I was just in church. But that was my calling. That's my, what I felt God had given me to do. And so I was going to stick with that. Um, so I would say that, but I, 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 I'm writing out of a, to a pastor now, and I recognize I have a broader ministry now beyond our local church. And that's a, re- that's a certain responsibility too, to manage, uh, again, walking with integrity. And now it's a, it's a whole different day. You know, in the old days, there was no social media. So you can imagine, you know, it was whatever it happened. But now with social media, you have a lot of, you can build, you can do, you can be full-time just marketing your stuff. And uh, if you're not disciplined, that will consume you and chew you out. So you want to be really careful about that. 
Yeah, that that resonates with me. Um, the podcast that I have here, the Pastor Writer podcast, there was actually both URLs available, pastorwriter.com and writerpastor.com. But uh, for the same reason, I chose Pastor Writer because uh, it's true of my calling as well, too. It, they sort of flow in that direction. Um, let me let me close with this. Two questions, um, because I know that there are these two types of listeners who will be listening to this conversation. I, th- I think you could offer a good uh, good sort of recommendation or advice. Um, so two listeners. Number one, the listener who they feel or they think they sense God calling them down this journey, this path of writing, and maybe they're just frustrated by their own writing, frustrated by not going where they wanted to, getting started, whatever it may be. Um, what advice would you have for someone there beginning the process of writing? And then for the other individual I hear from a lot is maybe someone who has written and they just find the whole trying to get publishing published process to be killing the dream, killing the calling. Uh, they're finding themselves frustrated, maybe even a little jaded about it. I, you see a lot of that online. Um, advice you would have for those two writers? Well, um, I would start writing first. I, I would write. And I would self-publish. Getting into a publisher would be very difficult. You have to have an agent. You know, it's, really, it's not easy getting in there. But you can easily self-publish today and hire, you know, go through Amazon or some other company. Thomas Nelson has a whole division. I mean, you can do it pretty easily. And you can actually hire an editor to help you out and um, to lay out people. You, you can do it. Uh, and I would encourage you to self-publish. And if Again, do it well. Um, get started. Self-publish because if it's a great book, uh, it will have the word is legs to it. And a publisher will eventually perhaps pick it up. Uh, and many books get picked up that start out of self-published. Um, yeah, it's hard and lots of other rounds, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't let the market keep you. Uh, there's a lot of excellent resources people self-publish. Most people self-publish there. Um, but of course, if you get an agent, you get it to a publisher. That's great. But I think you got you to find your own voice first. So it's not that I, I wrote so much stuff that never got published before I ever got started. I was just right, just right. Um, get a blog out there, you know, start blogging. Um, some of the opportunities kind of begin to hold your crap. And I'm sorry, your first question was? Yeah, th- those who are um, sort of trying to get started writing and just having a trouble producing. I know a lot of, I hear from people who say, you oh, know, yeah. I feel called to write and I'm trying. I don't know what I'm writing. <laughs> They're trying to deal with this call, but not quite sure how it gets started. Yeah. So, okay, I, I don't want to discourage you, uh, lots of people, but lots of people think they're going to write a book. They have no, you know, they, I'm going to write. I want to be a writer. But then they realize how hard it's like saying I want to be a marathon runner. And you find out, oh my gosh. Uh, it's one thing running a bottle on track, but they run to But I think many people get into it in their life. This is way more difficult than I do. Okay, so that may be some people's audience. Uh, but I would still encourage you to take a step, you know, begin to get some training, begin to get yourself started. Understand it's a long process. Uh, and if you're not sure what to say, then relax. You're not, I wouldn't worry about writing. You want, you want to be thinking. Thinking. And to say, what, what has God put on your heart to say? You've got to have something to say. You're not clear what you're going to say yet. It's not quite enough. But that's God. Put that desire to write. There will come a day when you'll write. It may not be for 10, 15 years. Because you want to have something to say before you start writing. You don't write. Let's say I want to start preaching, but I don't have anything to say. You don't preach. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus first. But I would say, relax. Timing, timing, timing. My last word is this. Timing, 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 timing. Always another time. And the fact that you've got a desire to write, 
then you don't have to say it. Okay. That means God's probably going to have the right later in life. But right now, you don't even have to message it. Or maybe you've got a message that's burning in you, but you don't have any time to get small go to the home. Your spouse cannot afford not to see you. You've got a job asking. So, okay, you've got the burning message, but it's not your time either because of your life situation right now. So you don't have the time for that. So you're going to say, okay, I'm going to keep taking notes and I'm not going to get this problem for three to four years. Okay, great. With me, so discerning timing is key. But if God's giving you a desire in your heart, nurture desire uh, and look to Him for as to when you should. Yeah, I think it's wise advice. Um, what what are ways people can follow um, if they want to pick up a book, follow yeah. what you're writing on the blog, or be able to, for sure, uh, yeah. when the next one comes out, what are ways they can keep up with you? Yeah, I would go to, I have a mailing list at emotionallyhealthy.org, our website, emotionallyhealthy.org. I go there, get on our mailing list. Right? Every week I do a podcast, like, hey, we send it out. for the Emotionally Healthy Leader. It's got about 100,000 downloads a month. It's a big podcast. I just started about eight months ago. Um, and I would go to our website and look at a couple of the videos on uh, the uh, 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 emotional healthy deceptive reports. Like if you're a pastor, the great church, and they get to train people in it. I, I was, with the material we've done is meant to equip you as a pastor in this and uh, take people to discipleship that deeply change the experience of stuff very fast. So I would say go to our website. Look at a couple of videos, get on the mailing list, and uh, uh, by God's grace, uh, your life, your young pastor will never be the same, uh, and will be a part of your journey of becoming a writer and the pastor God's called you to be. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. Thanks for uh, all the hard work you do put into writing. I know it's meant a lot to me and many others I know, and uh, that you're continuing just like the rest of us. More books to come, more writing to do, more hard work. Uh, just wanted to say thanks for all you do. Thank you so much, Jason. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening to the Pastor Writer Podcast. As always, you can find links to Pete's books as well as the resources mentioned by going to pastorwriter.com slash 24. If you haven't already, I'd appreciate you leaving a review and subscribing on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcast episodes. Reviews are one of the best ways for me to get feedback on the show and continue improving. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.